Hey guys, it's Ryan. Thanks for tuning into Theology-ish. Before we jump in, I just want to emphasize that the discussions on this podcast are exploratory in nature and delve into a variety of theological perspectives. They do not strictly represent or define our personal stances on the faith nor the doctrine of our affiliated churches. We encourage listeners to reflect, question, and seek guidance from their local church leaders. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Theology-ish, your favorite podcast about all things theology and theology-adjacent. My name is Ryan. I am, of course, one of your hosts. And as always, I am joined by our fantastic co-host, William. What's up? How's it going? Uh, Pretty good. Pretty good. How about about you, man? Uh, I'm doing all right. On this early Saturday morning. Yeah, I'm I'm doing pretty good. Any uh any fun life updates since the last time we recorded? No. Oh. How, okay. how about you? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Well, uh, built a pretty cool house in Minecraft. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's that's cool. There are worse things to do. I've found a whole lot of diamonds. Hmm. So that's nice. Kill the Ender Dragon yet? Not yet. Hmm. Um. I'm working toward that goal. Okay. Okay. I want to get netherite armor before going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Godspeed, Spider-Man. Godspeed. Thank you. Well, William, today is special. You wanna you wanna tell us why today is special? Well, today's special because uh, we, as our listeners already know, don't know th- things, um, and one of the things we don't know much about is Lutheranism. And because we have lately been a Dietrich Bonhoeffer fan podcast and done so much about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who is Lutheran, we uh, we realized we might need to learn a thing or two about Lutheranism. Yeah, and my first thought was we should get like an actual Lutheran priest on the show, and then I quickly realized neither of us know any Lutheran priests. I guess we could go to like a Lutheran church and be like, "Hey, man, I guess I'm gonna come on my." Want to come on my podcast? I don't want to be that guy, though. So uh, I did the next best thing and asked a longtime family friend of mine who is uh, kind enough to have joined us today, uh, James Sayer. If you want to, if you want to go ahead and said, go ahead and say hi. Hi, how is everybody today? I'm doing good. How are you? Excellent. Good. It is a crisp. It is a crisp winter morning in Southwest Ohio. Wow, that you it sound is. like a, a radio jockey. Ha! What's what's traffic looking like out there? <laughs> well, on seventy five North, we've got a backup at I thirty five, and what, yeah, Jim has got a great radio voice. Probably accurate because there's always a backup at seventy five North when it meets thirty five. So yeah, so we asked Jim, as my family has been calling him my whole life, sure to uh, to join us to talk about Lutheranism as he kind of grew up in that tradition. So um, you. Do you prefer Jim or James? Because I've always called you Jim, but if you prefer James. Yeah, well, no, I mean. You want me to call you Mr. Sayers? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually Sayer. It's no Sayer. It's singular. My okay. dog. No. Uh, <laughs> Big Jim. <laughs> little Jimmy. That's yeah. me. I'm little okay. Jimmy. No, um, you, that. you know what? James is my given name. Uh, so that's kind of what I generally go as, but people have known me for a long time. My wife calls me Jim. People call me Jim. I have no problem being called Jim. I'm good with that, but James is my given name. So, so. I'll, I'll call you James, and then later yeah. we'll, we'll graduate to Jim. Yeah, it's, yeah. and it's completely— I've known you much less time than Ryan has. Yeah, so. fun fact, uh, Jim was at the hospital the day I was born, so yeah. he's gotten to see me grow from a baby to a bigger baby who knows things. So <laughs> A wee baby. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Jim, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, yeah. um, your education background, the kind of church you grew up in, um, and very specifically, who your favorite theologian is. Oh, gosh. Um, so, you know, the, of course, there's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack. Um, I'm older than both of you put together. So, uh, <clears throat> but with that in mind, um, really, I, I grew up in a family that was really seeking seeking God, my folks uh, were Catholic when they met and married, and they really were a great example to me of growing and really reforming faith. You know, now we hear a lot about people deconstructing 
and that's a big word that people use as far as deconstructing faith. My parents were very good in, in what I would more like to term reforming faith, that as they learned more and grew, um, they were able to to kind of shed some of the things that that may not have uh, been serviceable. So I, I use that as a setup simply because um, I was originally baptized in the Catholic Church as an infant, uh, but then... Uh, through a, a set of circumstances I'm not going to get completely into, uh, actually started going to a Lutheran school for kindergarten. Then uh, when I was in first grade, my, my parents became part of the Lutheran Church, and this was the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church. Um, the, you know, the Lutheran Church has a number of what they call synods or different types of of you know, branches off that denomination. So they all have the certain distinctives of Lutheranism, but the Missouri Synod tends to be the more conservative. That's not to be confused with those losers over in Arkansas. <laughs> those entirely different Lutheran Synod. Nothing similar between Well, yeah, or or Wisconsin Synod or whatever. But yeah, they're they're a little different. So um so I was really reared my whole elementary school years in the Lutheran church and went to Lutheran catechism and all of those kinds of things. Um, Then in my junior high years, uh, before actually being confirmed, uh, and this is an interesting story, but before actually being confirmed, we we started attending another church that was a a bit more in the charismatic tradition, a bit more. so we did that uh, for a short period of time, uh, and then ended up uh, at a church that was, you know, if you're theology-ish, they were what you might call Baptist-ish. Um, they were not a okay. They were not a Baptist church per se, but if you've ever heard, there's an author, uh, Emerson Egrich, who wrote a book called Love and Respect. Yes, I have heard of that. Yeah, so he's he was actually the senior pastor there. So he was the pat. Now this was way before he ever wrote Love and Respect and all those kind of things. But he was actually the pastor of of our church in Mid Michigan, um, and so that was, you know, that was that part of the Christian tradition that I kind of was in for a little while. And he was a lot more um, of a of a teacher, a Bible teacher, uh, as opposed to preaching, which was. In stark contrast to when I first moved here to Ohio, uh, and I had people yelling at me in King James, and I was just like, "What in the world is going on with that?" Um, the real Bible. Yeah, the yeah, sixteen eleven, right? God bless. Um, anyway, uh, it, it, but uh, that's that's not the 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 focus of our discussion today. But but um, so from there, uh, you know, I I had a church that I attended briefly after I moved to Ohio in the mid nineties. Uh, and then I started attending a vineyard fellowship, which is actually how I met your parents, Ryan. Um, and so was part of that for a while. I w- led worship, did a lot of teaching for new believers classes and and um, kind of foundations of the faith and those kind of things. I, I've had a long time interest in theology and apologetics. And so <clears throat> I studied a lot of that, <clears throat> a lot of that along the way. My formal education was, uh, in actually in music business. Yeah. Which, uh, that's a, that's a fun fact about Jim we can put out there. He used to be, uh, the lead singer for a rock and roll band. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Well, anyone that we'd recognize or, uh, I was, no, I was the singer for a band that played with a lot of bands that people would recognize maybe, but, okay. but I, we, we released a couple of records and did a lot of that. I, you know, it, it was it was uh, it was good performing. I lo- I love performing some of the some of the stuff that goes with it. Um, never caught, uh, never quite got the attention that Switchfoot got. I see. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Switchfoot. Wow. Okay, that that takes me back. Oh yeah, uh, I haven't heard anyone mean mention Switchfoot, and I don't know. They 
just released a brand new album. Really? They're still they, they still release new albums regularly. Um, they just re-released the Beautiful Letdown album from 2003, I think it is. I mean, no hate to switch. They re-released it. East. They, they re-recorded all the songs, but they also had a bunch of other artists cover every song in the album and put it on that record. So, like, Owl City covered Gone. Um, huh. The guy Another from the lead singer from One Republic did one. Reliant K did one. Um, so they yeah. got a bunch Holy of Holy 90s, Batman. Really cool a long time ago to uh, yeah. all come together. Well, the Jonas Brothers also did one. Well, oh, wow. They also used to be really cool, but no longer. They've become much cooler in recent Are, years, apparently. They're still cool? They, yeah. they got very popular in recent years. After well, they reformed and did their thing. I'm so anyway, that's not anyway. what we're talking yeah, yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so. so Luther. So, I mean, just kind of going through the litany. Did that uh, help uh, plant a church out in Springfield with uh, with with some friends, and then I, uh, you know, kind of found my way back into more what I would call Baptist-ish churches, including the one that you know uh, I attend today and uh, and serve. Uh, with with the church wherever I can, uh, not in full time vocational ministry that kind of thing like that. I'm not I'm not looking to do that. In fact, it's funny. I remember uh, in elementary school, we took a tour because you know it's a little Lutheran church, right? A little Lutheran school. There are probably eight to ten kids in the whole class, um, and so we had a guided tour of the church with the pastor and we went over to his office and he talked about what he does and all of those kind of things, right? So it was, it was kind of cool. And then after we get done, um, the, the teacher says, okay, boys, how many of you boys, because this was only for boys at that time, right? Uh, how many of you boys would want to be a pastor? And every little boy shot their hands up except me. I was like, no, 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 no I don't want <laughs> Which- you know, it's funny because uh, you have had the opportunity a couple of times at, at our church to mm-hmm. preach and to, yeah. to lead a sermon, yeah. and it's funny because uh, I think you do a great job. I think you would have uh, made a fantastic pastor had you pursued that. Well, and, okay, so there's a difference between the preacher and the pastor. Okay. Mm. So there, there's so the, and that's a distinction that that needs to be sometimes made. No, I I preached in probably nine different churches when I was. 12 years old. I Really? Yeah. No, I went to a I went to a camp in western New York off of Lake Chautauqua uh where they uh they had an emphasis on teaching uh young men how to do different ministry things. So some k- kids learn musical things now. At that time I wasn't doing so much in the musical stuff because at 12 years old, a 12-year-old boy, mm, your voice is probably in a weird, yeah, in a weird place, right? It'll happen because uh, that, that was the the case. But I could preach, and so I would, you know, do a sermon. I had a sermon on uh, Nehemiah and the wall and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, and so then we would go to different churches throughout uh, uh, Western New York, uh, Northwestern Pennsylvania, that kind of thing, and do that. So I, I've had that that kind of opportunity. Um, and so I, I had training in that that sort of thing. Yeah. So now, theolo- theologians. Yeah, favorite theologian or theologians. So okay, there there are a lot that have influenced me over time. What's your favorite? So you got to pick one. I, I'm gonna pick one. I, I will say that there's there's been a lot of influence uh, over over time. Of course, C.S. Lewis is a big influence for a lot of folks. Chesterton is a big influence, uh, you know, um, with that, um, the, you know, there are any, any number of them for me, probably my biggest, um, my biggest influence is probably, uh, Dr. Michael Heiser. Um, uh, he died, uh, he died about a year ago. I remember you, yeah. uh, mentioning that last year. Yeah, yeah. So he, he died about a year ago. He, he, um, you know, he he was actually um, a Hebrew Semitic languages, all that kind of thing. And so one of the things that I really appreciated about a lot of his work is really helping bring context to the text of Scripture. Um, one of the things that we'll talk about today is how Luther and other Reformers basically were speaking to the issues of the church at the time, 
um, and doing the best that they could with the text that they had. Um, many of the, many of the, uh, even you get into church fathers and that a lot of them didn't really even know Greek and Hebrew. Um, they knew Latin, they learned Latin. And so they were taking whatever Jerome brought them from the Vulgate and they were trying to, you know, doing the best that they could. But now, of course, as we have the ability to look at the original Greek and Hebrew, um, that, so that was one of the things that I really appreciated about Dr. Heiser's work. Um, and a lot of people know him for divine counsel stuff and some of that, that sort of thing. But for me, a lot of it was, hey, you know, when you're reading the New Testament, can you get the second temple Jew in your head for a little bit? Uh, because that is really what is going to help you understand a lot of what is even being said um, <laughs> with respect to, with respect to uh, what's going on there. So, um, but he so he was he was a big influence, and I, I think because just more recent. Um, so there there are a lot of yeah there are a lot of I mean and of course Pat Robertson come on. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, uh, I mean, yeah. hey, man, if that that's, if that that's what you like. Was that out loud? Um, yeah. Um, I'm not personally too familiar with Dr. Heiser. I've I've not read any of his stuff yeah. personally, but uh, something to consider perhaps. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Well, we should probably uh, actually jump into the episode here and talk right. Lutheranism. So, James, little Jimmy, <laughs> I have been stranded on a desert island mm-hmm. and they for my entire life. Mm. And they just picked me up and they briefly taught me the history of society. Okay? And now we're getting coffee together. Ah, okay. And I say, hey, I've heard a brief history of the society thing and I've heard that there was this thing called Christianity. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden this guy Luther showed up. What was that? Mm, okay. What what happened there? Yeah. So um, Martin Luther was born in the late uh, in the late 1400s. So he's a guy that was born in the late 1400s. Of course, um, he was he was born in the uh, kind of what we would know as the kind of Germany Austria, you know, area of Europe right now. Um, he. Um, he was he was a guy that grew up as all did at that point within the Roman Catholic uh, tradition, I guess, of that particular time in that particular area. So that part of Europe was not, you know, it, you know, wasn't Orthodox or Coptic or anything like that. The Roman Catholic Church really dominated Christendom at that time. Um, so that's what he was born into. That was the context he was born into. Uh, without getting too far into the into the weeds as far as things go, he had a number of circumstances that shaped him and took him from uh, pursuing a career in law, which of course is what his father really wanted for him to be uh, an attorney and respected and all that to he uh, decided to take off on to a monastic life. Um, and so he went to the monastery thinking that he wanted to please God, and that was the thing. And his his issue was that he probably had what we would consider some level of being on the spectrum right now, uh, and he was very myopic about his own sins and very distressed at the whole idea of facing God in his sins. Um, so that, just to kind of give some idea. Um, one of the things, though, in his training, um, he actually learned some things about ancient languages, including Latin, and uh, that meant that he was actually able to read the Bible. Go figure. Because back then, what most people don't think about right now, we have the Bible on our phone. Uh, I've got, I don't know, 80 different translations of the Bible on my phone. Um, that was not a common thing. The common person, uh, even if they could read, most of them could not read Latin unless you were in the... Um, unless you were in the medical class or the uh, legal class or that kind of thing, like the higher, higher professions. 
So I'm saying all that to kind of set this up because as he's reading, he starts reading in the book of Romans and he sees, he sees a lot of things in the writings of the New Testament and especially Romans at first that really were in stark contrast to the Roman Catholic Church of the medieval period that they had come out of. And so he saw a number of things that were issues, right, that, that, that he was seeing. One of the issues, you know, and we, we have things culturally that we see even today that the church looks to address because they're, they're cultural, they're hot button, all that kind of thing. Well, at the time, at that time, um, the, the Pope and the, the uh, Roman, Roman Catholic magisterium, they had a big focus on building St. Peter's. So uh, obviously St. Peter's is an amazing is an amazing site and it's it's all these things but they were they were building it and uh they were trying to pay for it. Um one of the things that that happened at that time was a, a real expansion of what were called papal indulgences. A papal in, a pa- by now sin later. Yeah, yeah, by now sin later or hey, you know that loved one that died and maybe wasn't as uh, pious as they should have been. You know what? You, you you know got a couple of those. Yeah, there there was <laughs> there was you know there there, there was a, a saying that uh, there was a a guy uh, named Johann Tetzel, and Tetzel had a, a saying that was something like you know as soon as coin in coffer rings a soul from purgatory springs. Uh, that being that when a coin. When when a coin went into the into the coffer and they they got the papal indulgence, their their loved one could get less time or be sprung from purgatory. Which I you know I'm not I'm not going to go there because hopefully that's uh, that's something that people can understand. But that that's limbo. It's kind of the place in the middle. It's the place where you're purged of your sins because you're not ready to go to heaven because Jesus was not sufficient, right? Um, uh, and that is going to be something that's that becomes key. But so Luther starts seeing these these issues uh, with what he's reading in the New Testament and what he is seeing in the Roman Catholic Church at the time. And so he has ha- is having a lot of struggle. Uh, he ends up going on mission to Rome. Um, where he, you know, he was sent from the Bavarian area of, of Germany, where he, where he was, um, he was sent there for some specific things, and he is doing the climbing the steps on his knees and kissing each step and praying and all these things to try and and get some absolution for his sins. But at the same time, he's seeing Rome is not this holy city that he heard about back in Bavaria, but it is a, a really rotten place of a lot of corruption and prostitution and um, buying and selling influence and things like this. And he's seeing these things. And so he is really having this crisis of faith. And, and so he's having to, to figure out like what, what is going on. And so the, there were, in Roman Catholic doctrine, there are three main sources of authority, okay? There's Holy Scripture, there's Holy Tradition, and there is the teaching magisterium of the church, right? And the magisterium of the church, of course, headed by uh, the Pope, um, who is the vicar of Christ in that in that system, and who has the ability to speak what they call ex cathedra, meaning he speaks in the place of Jesus. Um, but Luther is looking at these things and he's in the New Testament and actually reading from Holy Scripture and he's like, wait a minute here. This is not lining up. Um, so he has a number of questions and he starts developing some things theologically. Well, it became he became very uh, famous because on what 
we now call uh, Halloween, <laughs> which is the day before All Saints Day. All Saints Day is November 1st. That's the day that they celebrate All Saints and especially the ones that don't get a special day. So right now, we don't, you know, if you're in the Protestant tradition, you're not thinking of, you know, many saints days outside of St. Valentine's Day or St. Patrick's Day. We kind of know those. All Saints Day was kind of the big, kind of the big to do uh, with that. He wrote uh, what they called 95 theses, right? Uh, which were, uh, it's a, th- a thesis, right? It's, they're just, they're just issues that he saw where the the scripture and the church were not lining up. And he nailed it to the jo- door of the church in Wittenberg, uh, Germany, um, because that was a place where, uh, you know, the, the church door, people came in, came in and out of the church door. People saw it. It was a prominent place in the city. People would see it. And by seeing it, they they would they would cause discussion. So they would have announcements or things like that. People would nail to these big wooden doors. Lost dog. Yeah. Found hat. Right. Exactly. Here's why the church is bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that that really kind of lit a match. Now I'm going to say Luther was blessed in a couple of ways that in in a number of ways that really helped him where there had been earlier reformers like Jan Hus uh for example who had been burned at the stake about 100 years earlier uh who had very similar type issues where he saw so Luther wasn't the only one that was seeing these things but you didn't have the proliferation of the internet that we have now where you could somebody could put something online and a bunch of people could go oh yeah yeah you know I agree with that whatever but what they did have at that point was the printing press and so what what started happening was unlike many uh, earlier folks that might have had some issues with what was going on in the church they, uh, his work was being, uh, printed in what they would call pamphlets, but just, and, and so, and he, he was having everything printed in the common language of the people. So this, the, these things weren't in the scholarly language of Latin that only an attorney or a priest could read, but this was in the common language of the people, um, and so, obviously, the the church had a few problems, of course, with this. Um, of, of course, you know, uh, they kind of had a good racket going, and they don't like being called out on that, but especially to the public. You know, it's one thing in your scholarly ivory towers to have these debates, and folks had those. But this was Luther appealing directly to the people and saying, hey, what you're being told isn't right, <laughs> right? Uh, and that was really kind of, you know, talking out of school, so to speak. And so that was not, uh, that was not appreciated. So he was eventually brought before uh, kind of a trial. It's, it's funny because the way that we read it in English it looks like he was brought to the diet of worms. Uh, <laughs> Delicious. Yummy. Low carb, high protein. Of, the diet of worms. Um, but really, it's worms uh, is Germany, right? Is that, but, but that's what it looks like. But it, that was where he basically stood on trial and he was basically told to recant, that is to take back the things that he had said and the things that he had written. And Luther said no backsies. Yeah, he did. And 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 there's a lot that's been written about this, but he basically said, you know, I can't I can't go against my conscience. I can't go against scripture. He says, What I've what I've written, I've written. He says, Here I stand. I can do no other, so help me God. And and really that's what it was. So help me God. Because he was not um he he was basically in the wind at this point. He was uh, red noticed or whatever. If you're into spy novels, he was completely 
um, you know, he was completely out. The other thing, though, that Luther had going for him is that he had a rich buddy. Uh, rich buddy. Always nice to have one of those. It is. Yeah. yeah. I've never had that good right. fortune, but I, yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Maybe one day. He had, he had some. And so he was basically being taken to uh, be executed, ultimately. I mean, there, there's a lot. There's a lot. But, I mean, this is the, the podcast is only so long. Uh, but he was basically kidnapped by... Uh, a friendly aristocrat who basically took him to a castle where he uh, spent years in exile, basically doing a lot of writing. Um, His wife, uh, he managed to marry uh, a woman who had formerly been a nun, uh, Kate. And so um, she made and sold beer because that's what you do if you're a good Lutheran, right? She made and sold beer uh, to finance the family, right, at, at that point. Good wife. Uh, and then, uh, and he he uh, translated the New Testament into German. Uh, there, he wrote extensively. And, you know, I, I'm sure in a moment we'll get into some of the distinctives of Lutheranism, uh, and we'll we'll get there, but that is basically kind of how all of this kind of started. And then, of course, with the printing press, things uh, you know, his his ideas and thoughts and and teachings really spread throughout uh, throughout Germany and throughout Europe at that point. And uh, we'll just say that that was uh, what he called for was a reformation of the Catholic Church. Um, the last thing I'll leave before we get into distinctives or whatever questions that you have is that Luther's intention was not to start another church. Um, he believed that the church was the bride of Christ, but had gone astray, that had had kind of wandered into some areas that shouldn't have, but that there were reforms needed to get the church back on to the the path that that Jesus would want it. So that was his intention. And so in Lutheran school, we didn't celebrate Halloween. We celebrated Reformation Day because Mm. that was the day that Luther nailed the, the, the 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg. Is there still candy for Reformation Day? There is. Oh yeah, much candy is Halloween. Oh, or... as much. It, you know, it's 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 one of those it's one of those beautiful things that you know that church people try and find a way around. Just like you know the in other traditions. Well, we don't celebrate Halloween. It's right? a harvest, but it's harvest, harvest party, party. Or treat. Yeah, you know that kind of yeah. thing. And it's like okay, okay. Right. Now I I want to pose a little bit of a question, sure. and this is all wishful thinking a little bit because what happened already happened. But, William, mm. you want to tell me what historically the church has always done when it is faced with controversy and heresy? Well, y- usually they end up uh, trying to hold a council. Yeah, so stuff. They, they hold a church council, and they hammer those things out, and then decide what is and is not orthodox. Right. That's not what Martin Luther did. Now, I'm not saying that he had the power or the pull to do that, even if he well, wanted, but I— Almost wonder if maybe possibly the better thing for him to do instead of nailing his 95 theses to the church door would have been to hold it, a church council. If I recall correctly, Luther's actions did lead to a, a council, and some of the things that Luther pointed out, they were like, okay, that's probably fair. Other things they doubled down on and mm-hmm. tripled down on. Um, I've read through Luther's 95 theses before. I think it's fair to say that uh, nine out of ten of them, yep, that's, yep, you got a point, buddy. Um, I think that a number of them have been addressed in the centuries hence in the Roman Catholic Church. Some of them, it's, uh, but but (laughs) some of his things, like his problems with indulgences and whatnot, those have been kind of walked back a bit, still present in different forms, but definitely walked back some. So Luther might be a little bit happier with the modern Roman Catholic Church than he was with the medieval, late medieval, or the modern Roman Catholic Church. Um, That said, he kind of started a council, just not, he wasn't. Yeah. Well, right, and and even, 
you know, because a, a number of the distinctives of Lutheranism, those are things that even uh, Trent at the Council of Trent. Yeah, that's the one. The, I remember the name. The Catholic Church, the Catholic Church basically, if you believe, for instance, um, the, the I mentioned earlier that they're they're kind of the three kind of the three heads of of Catholic authority. Um, well, in the Reformation. Luther was saying what they were, you know, they, uh, sola scriptura, right? Scripture alone. It's, it's not the teaching magisterium of the church and it's not the tradition, right? He saw what Jesus did with traditions, even that were started in Torah, right? And that men had over time done all kinds of crazy things with traditions, right? So Luther saw that. Um, Luther also knew that uh, just looking at things that the the Pope and the authority of the Roman of the Church was not sufficient to override the teaching that Jesus actually gave and gave to his disciples. Yeah. So that became one of the distinctions was saying we are saved. Um, we well, first of all, we we look to Scripture alone for our authority, but we are saved through faith alone, right? Through. Um, by God's grace alone. By, by grace through faith. Right. Is, is, exactly. That's the Lutheran so, yeah. motto, right? By, gr- by grace through faith. And, and so, but, the, but these things are key because um, you get into even things like d- distinctives from the Roman church where they had seven sacraments. Um, you know, in the Lutheran church, the, the sacraments are narrowed down to two, and they are holy baptism— and the uh, and the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist or you know that that kind of thing, and those and those even didn't save, but they were what what they called means of grace. Did so uh, Lutherans obviously still practice marriage, but mm-hmm. they they didn't consider that a sacrament. No, why not? Because uh, they believed that a sacrament had to be something that was for all people and that was salvific in nature, that was a means of God's grace towards salvation. So it, it wasn't, so something like marriage was, while a good and honorable thing and, and that was not something that saved anybody uh, or was a means to God saving anybody. Uh, and it, and so, yeah, it's, it's good. And it's a, it's an, it's a nice right and all that kind of thing. And they didn't, you know, and they didn't do things like uh, last rites or, you know, any of that either. Right. right? So, um, those kinds of things, but they narrowed it down from seven down to two. And even in those things, there was a, there was a bit of a different focus. So one of the things that, uh, uh, and I think a lot of Lutherans kind of chafe now, or many do at the whole, uh, term consubstantiation, um, they prefer things like real presence um, as a terminology for communion, where um, as opposed to transubstantiation, where it's considered that the that the the bread and the wine actually transform into the body and blood. They say it's more of a, the Lutherans kind of take it as more of a mystical thing. So they go beyond um, symbolism, but they say that it is the body and blood in and with the bread and the wine. Um, and that's kind of the way that they cash it to a certain degree. But then, of course, and a lot has been written and said about it, but let's just say that at the end of the day, they go, well, it's a mystery. <laughs> how does that work? You take the orthodox position do, of how, yeah. mystery. It's Yeah. How does that work? Well, we don't know exactly. But yeah, now you obviously growing up, in that sort of tradition a little bit and being surrounded by that stuff, has that kind of affected the way that you approach stuff like the Eucharist or baptism? Or do you feel like, you know, you kind of moved away from that tradition and you've in turn mm. moved away from that line of thought as well? Sure. Well, one of the things that's interesting, so of the two, of the two uh, sacraments, of course, there was Holy Communion and then the other was baptism. And actually... That was something that I, even as a young person, was having some real issues with. Okay. Was, was with pedo baptism. And 
uh, I remember at one point a woman from the church was over uh, helping my mom, you know, and they were folding some laundry. And I was talking to my mom. I said, you know, I don't know. I don't know that I agree with this. And the, the lady was just pretty much like, well, you're just, you know, the time is coming for you to get confirmed. So you just, you're just going to need to suck it up and, and just affirm it. <laughs> oh man. Oh, the, the old, who cares if you actually agree with the doctrine, just, you know, just pretend. do it. Right. And just, just do it. I, uh, in the spirit of Luther, just totally sucking it up and, yeah. and just agreeing with things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Luther would love that. Exactly. And so I remember at that point, um, my mom told me later, because there were already some things going on that we were, whatever, but at that point, my mom uh, talked to my dad and, was just, and, and just said, we can't stay. We can't, we can't do that. We can't. Um, now, you know, not knowing how things would go and how I would land, I think um, my folks had more of a, um, almost a reform view uh, as opposed to Lutheran view in the sense of just um, like a, a, a sign of, a, of the covenant with regard to pedo-baptism. So it was kind of like circumcision or something. Like it was like a, you know, a child. Yeah. So... Um, so that they kind of had that view, but they really believed in believers' baptism, you know. Uh, you know, once you yeah. so there, there was kind of a weird hybrid in my family. For me, I that was one of the issues that actually caused us to leave the Lutheran Church. Um, now, insofar as uh, communion, I I personally have moved off from that. Just from what I see and understand of, of scripture and that kind of thing. I, so I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, a, a, a consubstantiationist mm-hmm. or real presence or, or anything like that. I, you know, I'm, I'm sure my, my Lutheran friends would want to, you know, discuss it over, over some. Yeah. Now let's even move away from like pedo baptism. Cause mm-hmm. I also have a proponent of believers baptism. Sure. I, I'm not into pedo baptism personally, not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, or you're even, a little old. Yeah, even <laughs> <laughs> even with the idea of believer's baptism, mm-hmm. do you at all take the stance that it does something, that it confers grace, that it has a deeper meaning, or do you kind of take the stance that it's it's purely symbolic, sort of the, the Baptist stance? Right. Um, I would tend to fall more into Baptist theology on that. Okay. On that area. I see— I see certain things, and trust me, I I remember. In fact, um, so in in catechism, in Lutheran catechism, one of the things that they do is they'll have a, a point of doctrine, and then they'll have the various uh, scriptures. And and trust me, I remember, you know, Peter, baptism now saves you, boom, right? And now it was given without any context or whatever. It was just baptism now saves you. Poof. Right there on the page, see Bible says. There you it. go. There you go. You know, sola scriptura, baby. Yeah, exactly. yeah it's right there. <laughs> exactly. Which is weird. Ignore and, the rest of the scripture. And here's the thing. Now, now this might have been something from the '80s or something, but and this was something that was funny to me. For whatever reason, they read a translation called the Beck translation. I've heard of that. I don't run into the Beck translation a whole lot in the wild outside of this. It was the funniest thing. It was, um, but it was just like, uh, all right. Now, it was funny because my parents had a Lutheran catechism that had uh, King James references. So it was, it, you know, so it's not that they wouldn't use other translations, but I just thought that that was, and 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 I and I don't know. Probably it it could have been just in that circumstance that because you know you've got younger people and King James is just rough um, for anybody that's not 500 years old. Um, so fair. So, you know, th- that kind of thing. I don't know. But anyway, but, but so no, I, but I remember those things. Yeah. Now, but one of the things that's also in, in, an interesting distinctive is that they, th- that the way that things uh, were looked at there, there's always this duality in Lutheranism. So, when it's explaining a commandment or a beatitude or anything like that, the Lutheran Catechism says we are to fear and love God so that fill in the blank, right? 
So it's always the fear of God and the love of God, right? Um, there's always the, the sense of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. There's, there's, there's always this, this kind of, uh, this, this kind of duality that they're all, that, that things are always looked at, right? Through the fear and love, yeah. kingdom of the world, kingdom of, of God. Um, backtracking a little bit back mm-hmm. to the Eucharist, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Lutherans, they practice an open table, Right where uh, anyone's allowed to go up and partake um, or just those that yeah, are Lutheran? At least in the traditions that I was in, if you were going to partake, you needed to talk to an elder first. Um, and they they tended to be a bit more... Now, I, I can't speak for all traditions cause the, right. the, because the, the Missouri Synod, it tends to be a bit more... Um, conservative. Right. I, I went to a, a Lutheran service one time in mm-hmm. that particular mm-hmm. Lutheran church. Maybe they were breaking all the rules. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But they practiced an, an open table at that yeah. particular congregation. Yeah. So. And, and 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 that could also be um, something that is up to the, the pastor. Okay. So it, it's kind of individual yeah, the, now, sort of... And, and it's interesting, too, because the pastor... In the Lutheran Church, a pastor, the idea of uh, a shepherd, right? Right. This is something that also was a major, major distinctive that came from Luther and the Reformation, and that is the whole idea of the priesthood of all believers. So instead of uh, needing a priest for access to God, um, and that was, I mean, that was ingrained in their way of thinking. That, I mean... It is hard. It is hard to emphasize enough how much people believe that they needed a priest if they were going to deal with God. They needed a priest if they wanted absolution of sin. They needed a priest if if they wanted God's blessing on anything. That that was you know something that was seen. And so the Lutheran approach was to say, no, you have access to God through Jesus. Because of what Jesus did, you can ask God for forgiveness of sins. You can ask for God's blessing. You can pray directly. You can go to the Father. You can enter the throne of grace because of what Jesus did. You don't need a priest. And so in the, the Lutheran tradition, it went from being a, a, a priest in the Lutheran church to a pastor or a shepherd, someone to guide and lead. And it's, and it's funny, and, and this is what, what I think is, is particularly funny, because for people in other uh, Protestant traditions, especially, unless you're Anglican or something, most people look from the outside and go, oh, gosh, well, Lutheran, Catholic, pretty much same, same, right? And that's kind of the thing I had, which is why we wanted to do this episode. Mm-hmm. Right. Prior to this, my understanding of Lutheran traditions was Catholic minus the Pope, basically. Yeah. And I knew they had, like, a few different things with, like, the, uh, you know, the the sacraments and stuff like that. Well, but I, I mean, it makes sense with them being sola scriptura and not thinking that the other mm-hmm. things have. Yeah. No. Well, well and, but part of it is when you come from the outside and you go robes, candles, uh, church calendar, they sit, liturgies, all these other kind of things for people who don't grow up and they go, oh, looks Catholic to me. Yeah. Right. But what's more Catholic than robes? Right. I mean, honestly, you know, they see all these vestments and, but, but I will tell you growing up in the, <laughs> in the Lutheran church, we're like, no, not Catholic, <laughs> not yeah. Catholic. Now, opposite of Catholic. We're, we're running short on time here. We've got just over 10 minutes left here. Um, unfortunately. So, uh, do you just want to kind of get into a few of the other, distinctives about the Lutheran tradition that are unique to it or Rapid fire. Yeah. <laughs> um, just kind of get into some sure. of the things that are unique to the Lutheran church before we close out here to give people a, sure. a bit more of an idea of what it is and how they practice the faith. And sure. maybe even uh, dig into a thing or two about the Lutheran tradition that now looking back on it, you're like, eh, I think they've missed it on that. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, poke something. Yeah, po- poke some. Poke, poke the some. bear. Yeah. Poke the bear. I Unless you uh, totally agree with yeah, the Lutheran tradition. Really, I mean, and, and as, as I mentioned, you know, I 
I don't tend to take the same approach when it comes to the sacraments even. Right. Uh, and, and I get it. I get, I get where they're coming from. I just have a certain disagreement with respect to that. Um, I, you know, th- this is one of the things that unlike in Luther's time, because unfortunately one of the things that we, we see was the fruit of a lot of this was a lot of bloodshed, frankly, a lot of war, a lot of, um, you know, going back to uh, rage against the machine, you know, killing in the name of, right? Yeah. It's, uh, the, the, it, and, it, and it was an unfortunate thing. So, um, but at least in this day and age, you know, I have Lutheran friends that are dear brothers and sisters in Christ that, you know, we can agree to disagree, but while understanding that ultimately Jesus is Lord, right? And that is, that is our, our key thing. That's the thing that holds us together as brothers and sisters. But I, you know, certainly have disagreements with respect to the sacraments, um, with, with regard to, you know, some of the other things, I think it very important understanding that, that it's God's grace, right? It's by grace that we are saved through faith. It's not from ourselves. It's the gift of God, right? That is huge. Um, and so that is something that really was brought out by Luther um, and that was really, really important. Um, now, I'm going to tell you what. I, I think like many, many other, you go through, you go through any list of theologians, especially people who've spoken or written extensively on anything, and I think you're going to find problems. And sometimes we want to, uh, you, you know, I don't want, we, we want to not deify, but we want, we, we want to put these folks on a pedal and go, Augustine, Augustine had a lot of problems, a lot of problems. The guy was brilliant. The guy wrote a lot of amazing things, but he had a lot of problems. Luther was the same, right? Um, anybody, I mean, I have some problems with certain C.S. Lewis theology probably, right? All that kind of thing. If you've written enough and you've done enough, you're going to probably get into areas. Luther got into certain areas that were problematic. And one of those things that, of course, is more highlighted, I think, in this day and age was his treatment of the Jews. Um and unfortunately, as much of a of really a godless manipulator that Hitler was, one of the things that he was able to do, um, he was no Christian by any stretch, but he was able to use some of the uh, the rhetoric of Luther to stir the German people in a certain way um, against the Jews. Um, now, that's not the only thing or anything like that, but but I just say that to say we when we're when we're looking at people um and I and I remember having teachers in the Lutheran school that were just like, "Oh yeah, Luther was every bit the man of God that the apostle Paul was or the apostle John was and all these other kinds of things." I'm like, "Nope." I'm like, "Is he every bit the man of God in the sense that he is saved and loved and, and, you know, that kind of thing. Well, sure. Um, was he used for powerful things? Sure. Martin Luther King Jr., by the way, his father, I mean, he had a complete, I don't even remember it. He, uh, he had a completely different name. He changed his name to Martin Luther King because of the powerful ministry of Martin Luther and what Martin Luther had done and then named his son Martin Luther King Jr., right? I mean, so powerful influence, right? Powerful, powerful influence. But when you're trying to, when you're starting to equate, you know, somebody with uh, someone who was inspired by God in scripture, well, that, that might be taken. Yeah. And uh, something that I am getting, gearing up to get ready for right now is doing a deep dive on Martin Luther and really digging into the kind of person he was and the theology he was into and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm sure that something we're probably going to touch on was the fact that he was kind of anti-Semitic, which wasn't great. Kind of. And, you know, maybe, uh, a little, 
Maybe there will be other stuff that I find out about him I'm not a big fan of. Maybe that'll be the only thing that catches me off guard. But To be fair, if Luther didn't like someone, he called them swine. Oh, so it's not yeah. just that he called Luther. Luther was not okay. This was the thing. Luther, Luther had very okay. Luther was very forward in his language. He he talked about bodily excretions. He talked about all kinds of what we would call vulgarities. He was very. Um, yeah, he was very to the point with a lot of things. Um, he hated, hated, hated the devil. Like this was uh, <laughs> good thing to hate. That is a good thing to hate. Out of all the things, but but I'm just I'm I'm saying in ways now. I'm, I mean, in fact, it's attributed to Luther, and I I I'm not sure if this is just apocryphal, but it's attributed to Luther that the whole idea of dressing up children as devils and witches and sending them out to collect candy. He loved that idea because he felt it mocked the devil. Um, one thing that Luther did definitely, apparently, say is that if you're dealing with temptation, something that you can do that works nine times out of ten is to fart at the devil. Yeah. Which apparently Luther had a gut more immaculate than mine where he could just fart on command. Yeah. Um, but, but he was like, you're being brother. Well, because the devil's primal sin is his pride. So if yep. you respond with mockery and uh, yeah. yeah he'll be like i'm not hanging out here where i'm gonna get me foot up <laughs> well and even if you you know um of course the most the most famous song or the hymn that martin luther is most known for he, he wrote a lot of them or he would take a lot uh would write lyrics to uh car- common uh, tavern pub songs of, of the time but a mighty fortress um you know the if you read the lyrics to that he t- he talks about you know, for instance, you know, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. Uh, his rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him, right? And these kinds of, <laughs> these kinds of things, um, you know, you know he, so this is a guy who's a musician. He was a philosopher, uh, scholar, translator, uh, had a major influence, and so... Um, we see some of the remnants today of Lutheranism kind of coming back around to what, you know, your earlier question. I think looking at least at the Lutheran Church in America, such as I see it, I think Luther would be uh, pretty disappointed, frankly. Um, yeah, I think he would be very disappointed at the proliferation of denominations. Um, I think that he would be happier that the Roman Catholic Church kind of got on board with some of these things, but he would have some real damage with a lot of what what they've done. Yeah, but, and that's just my own, you know, adjacent view. Yes. Well, we've got to close out here. We're just about out of time. Any last comments or questions or anything like that before we close out? Uh, I just want to say thanks for for joining us and I'm happy to do it and sharing a little bit of your expertise, as it were. <laughs> Um, because we wouldn't have known these things without you knowing them. So okay. thanks, man. Oh, yeah. yeah and, uh, we would love to have you back on sometime in the future to discuss something else. Sure. Um, yeah, thanks for coming on me. We appreciate your time. Well, hey, I, I enjoyed the time. Thank you for having me, and uh, hope that uh, people can learn a thing or two, and it's helpful. Yeah, we have dozens of listeners, man. So It's true. We're, we're on five continents we that's recently true. made it to Asia, so... We did, yeah. That's exciting. So if you are at all interested in learning more about Lutheranism, uh, I encourage you to go out and do your research. Uh, talk to local church leaders, learn stuff. Any any books on Lutheranism that some, if someone's that's interested that they could uh, poke at? Um, any offhand? Well, well, first of all, just there's a... Um, uh, there are the Lutheran worship, the like Lutheran worship guide, which is pretty good because it... It kind of goes through every holiday, every every day, whatever, and it kind of gives the prayers, it gives songs, it gives all these kind of things, and that kind of gives you an insight. Um, Eric Metaxas wrote a really good book on Martin Luther. There are several, there are several good uh, biographies of Martin Luther, but I think his is pretty good. Uh, but it's going to take a minute to read. It's very, uh, it's very thick. 
um, thorough. Book. Even. Yeah. It's it's thorough, but he has a pleasing enough writing style that it's it's easier to read. It's just going to take you a while, so you're going to have to buckle down. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. If indeed you still are. Come back next week for another episode with me and William. Uh, Jim will not be here, but in the future. (laughs) Um, Like, comment, subscribe. Um, Leave a five-star review on Spotify. Email us at theologyish at gmail.com if you have a question or whatever. Yeah. And we'll, we'll email you back. Yeah, and if I am able to hold to the schedule I'm wanting to... Our website should be launched by the time this episode goes up. So keep an eye out in the description and in the comments on YouTube. I should have a link up. If it's not there, it will be soon. Pinky promise. I hope to have our website up and good to go by the time this is up, though. So. I, I think when we get that rolling, we'll be able to like offer some clarifications on yep, episodes. Sites down for our resources. And that kind of thing, so... Yeah, so that's exciting, so keep your eye out for that. Otherwise, that is it from us. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next week.